0: You are listening to the Life Church Podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Micah Beckwith. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to be in verse 19 through 33 today. Um, just so you know, uh, Pastor Tina did a great job last week laying out uh, what is ha- what happened with the death of Absalom. Okay, and so Absalom has now been killed. The son of David, he's been rebellious. Uh, we go right through Scripture just here at Life Church. So if you ever, if you come, if you miss a date, if you if you if you're here new, you can always go back and, and on our website and you can listen to all the messages leading up to this. So you can kind of get caught up to speed. But but really, this passage that we're going to look at today, as I was studying it. It just highlighted something about David that I have seen since we've been in 2 Samuel more than anything is David is emotional. I, honestly, I was thinking about it. Like, I don't know if I could be David's friend. Like, it would be too exhausting, right? Be like, up and down and up and down. The Lord is awesome and we have victory. My enemies hate me and I'm going to die. Like, the Lord is amazing. I'm going to die. The Lord is good. I'm going to die, Right? I'd be like, David, dude, chill. Like, I feel like I can resonate with Joab. You're going to see Joab here in a second. It's like, like, oh my gosh, David, you're killing me, Smalls. You know what I'm saying? And so... So anyway, that's kind of where this is. This message is going. It's, what what happens when your emotions get the best of you, and I think David's going to show us that in this passage and also in the next passage where Joab really does give him a slap down. Say, David, like, slap out of it, man. Like, you, you need to lead. So, but David, um, he's if you if you know David at all, and we've have stu- we've studied this, um, you can tell like he, he's he's not a very good father. He's, he's, been a, he's really mismanaged, I'm going to go back to this slide in a second, but David's mismanaged the leadership of his, of his children, all of his children, including Absalom, and it's led to where we are today. And, and fatherly influence is really one of the most important formational aspects of, of a child's development. If you don't know that to be true, you've you've not actually studied, then all the research points to strong fathers, strong godly leaders in in a home really make the world of difference. I've referenced it before. Barna did a study a few years ago. They wanted to know how how evangelism works within a home. If a child comes to know the Lord and and none of the rest of the family are believers, there's a 3% chance that because of the child's faith— that mom and dad and the rest of the family will come to know the Lord. If a mother comes to know the Lord, there's a 17% chance that the the rest of the family will come to know the Lord because of the mother's faith. But if a father comes to know the Lord, what do you think the percentage is? I've said it before, I think so. 93% of the time, that whole family will come to know the Lord because of the father's leadership. Again, it's not to downplay the role of a mother. It's not to downplay the role of children. It's just saying in God's world, when men step up to lead, everything else comes into alignment. In a broken world, when moms have to take the role of a father. Listen, moms are great moms. Don't, don't hear me. You can be a great mother, but moms, you're never going to be a great father. You never will. You, you can fill the void, and some moms do a great job of doing what they can to fill the void because of death. Or brokenness or whatever it is and God can use that and he can bless you so please hear me God works through brokenness he can do it all the time he does but when it's healthy and whole the way God intended it just works better and so here at Life Church, one of our vision statement is fathering sons and daughters into the kingdom of God. And we've gotten some pushback from some, sometimes the spirit of feminism that will come, you know, from you know outside. We'll get emails and be like, "I saw your vision statement. Where's the mother? Where's the mother? You know, why isn't it fathering and mothering? You know?" And we always reply, we say, "Listen, we love moms. Moms are amazing. We need good moms, but we know when we get the father thing right." then the moms will come into alignment then the children will come into alignment and i've never met a godly woman to say i don't I, who says i don't want godly male leadership in my home i've never met a godly woman who says that i always hear man i want my husband to be the strongest most bold on fire follower of jesus cuz i know when he's doing that then it's just going to click and so that's what we do here at Life Church. And, and we see through the life of David that when you don't have that godly father influence, it causes a lot of chaos and, and destruction, and, and you're picking up pieces all day long. And, and it's because of David's sin. I mean, he, he, he slept with Bathsheba, took another man's wife, killed a man. I mean, David really would be in jail if he was alive today. Like, I mean, he was a murderer and an adulterer and a liar, um, but it tells us something about God God is forgiving. There's nothing that you have done that can separate you from the blood of Jesus. Like, if the blood of Jesus is covering you right now, you're good. If God can do that with David, I mean, is there anybody in the room that's murdered, taken someone else's life, and uh, lies all the time? <laughs> Don't raise your hand. Really? I'm just kidding. <laughs> kidding. For our online community, no one raised their hand, okay? All right, just so you know. Uh, but if God can do that with David, he can do that with you. Right? And he can think about how much more he can do, you know, even with you and, and when you're walking a godly, godly path. And so, but David's made some mistakes. And now we see that it's, it's, it's rooted in this rebellion in Absalom. Ephesians says this Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them, rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. You want healthy families, dads, make sure you take an active role in training and disciplining your children and doing it in love. I've had to learn with with Brody, man, I love that boy, but boy, he's putting gray hair on my heads. man. He's just, and he's going to be a great leader. He really is. He's just trying to lead right now and it's not working. So, (laughs) (laughs) so I love the spirit the Lord's put in him, but. Boy, I, it's just, you've got to, so, so the Lord has taught me, it's like, okay, don't discipline in anger, right? I've got I've to sit down and be like, okay, I'm doing this because I love you. He's like, no, you're not. You hate me. Why would you spank me? You hate me. I'm like, no, I love you. And, and so it's a, it, is, it has been a challenge, but the Lord then convicts me. He says, Micah, this is kind of how you and I are, right? You know, like, you know, you know, you see my love for you when I discipline you. But anyone who disciplines their children loves their children. Anyone who trains them in the instruction that comes from the Lord loves their children. The Bible says the fool rejects discipline. The fool says that they don't want discipline. But if you love your children, fathers, you'll discipline your children. You'll take an active role. David wasn't doing that. Four times in this passage, David refers to the rebellion of Absalom as the young man, the rebellious Absalom as a a young man. I think this is interesting. So go back to the beginning of, of chapter 18 He's, four times, he says, oh, the young man, the young man Absalom. What was he doing? Well, ch- check out verse 5 in, in, in 18. We're not, we, we studied this last week, but just as a reminder, David said to Joab, Abishai, and Ittai, his commanders of the army, that we're going to go out and battle against Absalom and his army. He says, be gentle with the young man Absalom for my sake. And all the troops of the king giving orders, uh, heard the king giving orders concerning Absalom to each of the commanders. So everyone's listening to David saying, hey, this young man, Absalom, what's he saying? He said, hey, Absalom's not really rebellious. Absalom's just, he's just an immature kid. Now, if you know the story, Absalom was absolutely rebellious. He wasn't an immature kid. He knew exactly what he was doing. Any other person in the kingdom would have been dealt with. That the king would have said, I'm going to put an end to this rebellion. Because you're not just rebelling against David, you're rebelling against God. And, and if it was somebody else, David would have constantly been out there saying, it's not me you're coming against, you're coming against God. But when it was David's son, he looked at him through rose-colored glasses. Now, if you've been in youth ministry, if you've been around, if you're a teacher, or you, know, you work with kids, it's very easy sometimes to see when parents are looking at their children through rose-colored glasses. It's, it's easy to do that as a parent. You want to believe the best about your child. It's hard to see when your child really has done something that that isn't you know that's not up to par. I, I saw this a lot in, in youth ministry. I'd tell a parent, "Hey, listen, you've got some problems with your kid." Oh, not my kid, not my kid. No, 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 no. You've got the wrong kid, right? It's just a young man. It's just a young man, you know. It's like, no, there's a rebellious spirit, it. oh, no, 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 it's fine. Well, that's what David's doing here. He's telling Joab and his men who are going to go out and put their lines on the uh, on the line or their lives on the line for David. He's saying, hey, he's really just a kid. I mean that's gotta be kind of offensive to, to Joab, Abishai, and Ittai. It's like we're going out, we could potentially get killed by this kid, and you want us to, you know, deal kindly with him? But but again, David is he can't really see clearly right now because of, of his emotions. Okay, so let's pick it up in verse 19 of, of 2 Samuel uh, chapter 18. Then Zadok's son, Ahimaaz says, Let me run with, to the king with the good news that the Lord has rescued him from his enemies. So this is a Jewish man, the son of Zadok, is wanting to take the news of Absalom's death to King David. And Joab told him, no, it would not be good news to the king that his son is dead. You can be my messenger another time, but not today. Now, Joab knows what happens when David is brought uh, news about somebody that he loves has been killed. We saw that with the Amalekite. When King Saul, one of David's enemies, but David loves Saul. David always referred to Saul as God's anointed. And when the Amalekite came and told David, hey, I killed Saul for you. Even though the Amalekite didn't do it. Saul took his own life. The Amalekite said, I can can get in good with David. Just let me go. I'm going to go tell him. What did David do? David killed the Amalekite. He said, how dare you raise your hand against, against the Lord's anointed? And so Joab knows this, and I think he's trying to protect uh, this young, immature uh, Ahamaz, the son of Z- Zadok. No, don't, no, no, don't go do this. Now, it's interesting. You'll see what happens. Ahamaz just continues to press in. But, but now, uh, so the message is going to come to David that, that his son is now dead, and you're going to see David just, just, he can't handle it well. But Pastor Tina talked about this last week. Absalom, he got his hair caught in a tree, right? Uh, his hair was the source of his pride. He would always weigh his hair every year. It was about four or five pounds. Does any, are there any women in here that weigh your hair? Like, what is that a thing? Like that's, apparently that was a thing in ancient Israel, all right? Like you would weigh your hair. But that was his source of pride. Isn't it interesting that the thing that he was most proud of was the thing that got him entangled in the tree, which then led him to be a sitting duck when Joab and his men came by and Joab stuck the spear through him. And so here's an, here's an old painting of, of uh, the story of, of Absalom. Now if you go to, now Joab commanded his, his men to bury Absalom under a pile of stones because in Deuteronomy it says, and for rebellious sons you need to stone them and bury them under a pile of of rubble so when you have a treasonous son that's trying to overthrow them the patriarch the father that's trying to usurp authority the lord said that is a very serious offense and before the blood of jesus the lord has to deal the lord always has to deal with sin through death it's just now that we have christ christ is our sacrifice Christ is the one that went to the cross. We don't have to. But in the Old Testament, Christ hadn't done what he did yet. And so the Lord said, hey, you do this, it's going to cost you blood. I can't let this sin go unpunished. I'm a just God. And so they would bury these these rebellious kids under under rocks after they stoned them. So that's what Joab did with, with Absalom. They buried him under a pile of rubble. To this day, now we don't know if it's the same place, but to this day, if you go to Israel, this is the Kidron Valley. you you got the Temple Mount up here. Uh, This is the uh, the Mount of Olives right here. These are all grave, uh, ossuary boxes, graves. And Jesus will step down uh, on this. uh, When he comes back, his first step is going to be on the top of the Mount of Olives. It's going to split the Mount of Olives out. Fresh water is going to run to the Dead Sea and revive the Dead Sea. That's the prophecy that's coming. Um, But right right in the middle of the Mount of Olives and and the the Temple Mount, you've got the Kidron Valley. And this right here, this uh, cone-shaped kind of monument, is Absalom's uh, monument. And and every time parents walk by with their kids, the parents spit at the the temple. Like Absalom's temple. Right? That's gross. Uh, That's gross. I'm just trying to yeah. listen. It's weird culture. I know it's weird. All right. Uh, but and so parents would say, hey, this is a monument. Remember, Absalom was a disobedient child, and this is a warning don't be like Absalom. And so parents to this day will take their kids to Absalom's tomb, and they'll show now this is they don't know if this is actually where the pile of rubble that that Joab threw onto Absalom, but but that's, uh, that's very much. Uh, the, the monument that reminds us of Absalom, and it still stands to this day here in Israel. So, so in verse twenty-one, then Joab said to the man from Ethiopia, "Go tell the king what you have seen." The man bowed and ran off. So, so now, okay. So he told the Zadok's son Ahimaaz, uh, "Ahimaaz, that no, I don't want you to go. I don't want you to go. But the Ethiopian, the Cushite, is is what other texts will read. The Cushite from Ethiopia." You go and tell David. Well, why is that? Well, the Ethiopians were more uh, hired guns. They weren't part of the family. in the, In ancient Israel, and in, in, in war in those days, the kings would always use mercenaries first. They would always send the mercenaries, hired guns, to go into the hottest part of the battle because they wanted to protect their sons and daughters from war, and then they would use their sons and daughters only after the mercenaries had done their job. And so this Ethiopian was probably more of a mercenary, more of a hired gun. And so Joab's thinking, okay, if David responds poorly, at least he's responding poorly to an Ethiopian and not one of our own. And so he tells the Ethiopian, take the message to David. But Ahmaaz continued to please, uh, plead with, with Joab, whatever happens, please let me go too. Why should you go, my son, Joab replied. There will be no reward for your news Yes, but let me go anyway, he begged. And Joab finally said, All right, go ahead. So Ahmaaz took the less demanding route by the way of the plane and ran to Mahana'im ahead of the Ethiopian. And so, this to me just, this is a, Ahmaz is, is really gonna be somebody that is just very immature. I mean, you can see, like, what are you doing? Like, why is it so important for you to carry this message? And it got me thinking that. He's running. He doesn't even really have a message. He's not, he's not going to be able to tell David what the truth is. He's running to carry a message that really doesn't even exist. And running without a message or a calling is unwise and it creates burnout. Why would you ever take a, a message that it's, it's not even real? Like there's no purpose in doing what you're doing. But here we have this immature messenger, this, this young man of, of Israel wants to go and be that voice. And we're going to see here in a second what God thinks about that. He talks about that in Jeremiah But before we get to that, verse 24, While David was sitting between the inner and outer gates of the town, the watchman climbed to the roof of the gateway by the wall. And as he looked, he saw a lone man running toward them. And he shouted the news down to David. And the king replied, If he is alone, he has news. As the messenger came closer, the watchman saw another man running toward them. He shouted down, Here comes another one. The king replied, He also will have news. The first man runs like Ahmaz, the son of Zadok, the watchman said. He's a good man and comes with good news, the king replied. Then Ahamaz cried out to the king, everything is all right. He bowed before the king with his face to the ground and said, praise the Lord your God who has handed over the rebels who dared to stand against my Lord the king. What what about the young man Absalom? What about the immature child of mine? Like he wasn't the rebellious guy, just the, the child. What about him? Is he still alive? Is he all right? And Ahamaz replies, when Joab told me to come, there was a lot of commotion, but I didn't know what was happening. What a liar. What a liar. Of course he knew what was going on. He's a liar. He's immature. Again, I don't understand why he wanted to, he just, maybe he was just, he wanted to be the guy that is always in the middle of stuff, right? Maybe that's you. Maybe that's me. Sometimes we were like, you know, it's the fear of missing out, FOMO, right? You know, you're just kind of like, I got to be there. I got to see how this is going to go. You know, it's like a, you know, watching a, a train wreck, right? You know, just like, i got to watch it. i got to see it. And, and Ahmaz reminds me of just an immature little kid. And the Lord talks about this in Jeremiah. He says of the prophets who also are like the, they have the spirit of Ahmaz, they're, they're immature. They, they want to be a messenger, but God hasn't really given them a message. He says this, I have not sent these prophets, yet they run around claiming to speak for me. I've given them no message, yet they go on prophesying. There's a, there's a phrase in Christendom that you might have heard often, and, it's, and we, we believe it's, it's not right to take the Lord's name in vain. And, uh, and sometimes I think when, you, when we say that, it's like, okay, don't, don't turn the, the name Jesus Christ into a cuss word, or don't, don't use God as a cuss word. Um, but there's more to, to that than taking the name of the Lord in vain than just a cuss word. Taking the name of the, the Lord in vain is saying things that God himself hasn't said when you declare, thus saith the Lord, and then you go on with the message, and God hasn't said that, you're, you're taking the name of the Lord in vain. And God really has a big issue with that, because oftentimes it will lead innocent bystanders astray, because they'll say, man, this person who seems very godly, they're a prophet, right? Okay, this, these people sat in a religious office, people looked to them for spiritual guidance, it's very easy to lead people astray. That's why the Lord says he's going to deal a lot more harshly with, with, with preachers of the gospel who lead people astray because, because people look to the preachers. I mean, he's going to deal harder with me and Nathan and the campus pastors and people who have that title to lead people into a spiritual sense. If we get it wrong, we're going to be in a lot bigger trouble than, than if you get it wrong because you don't sit in the office of a pastor. So it's a, it's a big responsibility, I and mean, we walk in it humbly, and we don't always get it right. But when we don't get it right, we, we try to say, okay, we're going to, you know, repent, change, and, and go, go back the right way. But, but these guys were sitting in a spiritual office, and they were saying, God said— That happens a lot today too. I hear it all the time. God said, God said, God told me this. God told you to God told me to tell you to do this. (laughs) How many times does that happen, right? Okay, well, when God tells me, then I'll do it. All right. Like that's that's my response a lot of times. It's like, well, God said that you need to do X, Y, and Z. Thank you. and I never shoot anyone down right away unless I know they have a terrible track record as being a prophetic voice. And I'm like, okay, like, you know, go go learn how to be a better prophet and come back, right? But But I will always weigh it with wisdom. And if I feel like the Lord hasn't let me know or let me, if I don't have a peace about it, just because someone says God says, that's not gospel truth. All right? Use wisdom and discernment. Even if it comes from me or Nathan, if we say God said to do this, you need to pray about it. You need to do like what Pastor Tina said. You need to do what the Bereans do. The Berean church would weigh everything to the scriptures. And Paul gave them great compliments for that. He said, you're not even just taking my word. I'm the Apostle Paul, and you're not taking my word for it. You're going back to see what the Scriptures say. That's a really good and healthy thing for all of us to do. Just because God says, because sometimes people get it wrong, and sometimes people are malicious and doing it intentionally, taking the name of the Lord in vain. And so this is what God says. God says, these people will not be profitable for for the body. Don't be like these people. Verse 27 of Proverbs 17 says this, a truly wise person uses few words. A person with understanding is even tempered. Even a fool is thought wise when he keeps his mouth shut. That's my, that's my translation, right? Okay. You know, keep, your, keep your mouth shut. When their mouths are shut, they seem intelligent. A, I mean, it's just a reminder. We need to be patient. We need to wait on the Lord. Don't just jump in and say, God said, oh, I think I know, I think I know what God said. Okay, I'm going to go tell the world about it. No, better know what God says. Even fools are thought wise when they, when they hang out and they wait and they keep their mouth shut. So back to 2 Samuel 18. Wait here, the king told him. So Ahamas stepped aside. And then the man from Ethiopia arrived and said, I have good news for you today, my lord, the king. The Lord has rescued you from all of those who rebelled against you. And he says again, what about young Absalom? Again, you see a theme here? You know, David's like trying to let everybody know he's just young. He's not rebellious. He's just, he's just wayward, you know. And, and what about young Absalom, the king demanded? Is he all right? And the Ethiopian replied, May all of the enemies, my Lord the King, all of your enemies, my Lord the King, both now and in the future, share the fate of that young man. Your son is dead. And David basically loses it. And the king was overcome with emotion. He went up to the room over the gateway and burst into tears. And as he went, he cried, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you, oh, Absalom, my son, my son. Now, this is interesting because David is, he is the the one that is carrying in the promise of God. God has told David, Through your line I'm going to bless the world. David is so overcome with emotion that he, he puts his calling aside as being David the one that's supposed to carry in the, 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 the new kingdom that's going to reign forever for and ever. And yet he's so overcome with grief that he says, ah, I would give all of that up if only I could have you back, Absalom. Sometimes when we're overcome with grief and emotion, we say and do things that really, even though it's hard, even though you're walking through tough times, you have to remember that there is more to life than life and death. There is going to be thousands and thousands of years to come. And I know when you lose somebody, I've lost people close to me, when you lose someone that you love, when, you, when something doesn't go your way, it almost is it's paralyzing. But you've got to get yourself out of the, the, the natural and get into the spiritual and the supernatural. You've got to get yourself out of the temporal and go into the eternal. What is the, what is, how am I going to view this 10,000 years from now? doesn't mean it's not going to be or hard or easy it doesn't mean it's going to be all rainbows and unicorns it just means that what does David think about all of this right now David was overcome with emotion you're going to see in this next chapter when we study it next week David he, he basically offends his men the people that have gone to battle for him they think he cares more for Absalom the enemy than they do for for his own men I wonder if David were here right now and he is, in, he is with the Lord, we know that to be true, he loved God. He's, he, so he's in the great cloud of witnesses. He could be potentially even watching in what's going on at Life Church today as we study his life. What do you think he would say right now if he was on this stage about his testimony? Do you think he would boast in how he acted here? No, he'd probably say, man, I just was so overcome with emotion. I couldn't see clearly. I, I wish I could go back. I'd do it differently. You know, but God, but God was still good and kind with me, dealt and dealt mercifully with me. But, but he's, he's letting his emotions get the best of him. And I think part of his emotions came from the guilt of knowing that part of this was his doing. When he sinned with Bathsheba, killed Uriah, the prophet Nathan came in and said, hey, God saw what you did, and because of what you've done, your whole house is going to be in disarray. However, the Lord will not remove the kingdom from you because you've repented of your sin. Because you are sorry for what you've done, the Lord will have mercy on you, but it's gonna cause a lot of chaos. The consequences are not gonna be good, David. So, David was probably dealing with a little bit of the guilt. Now, remember, guilt and consequences are different. You're gonna make mistakes, I've made mistakes that will have consequences, but when Jesus' blood covers you, he removes the guilt from you. You don't have to walk in shame. You don't have to live a life that says, oh, because of my past, now my whole future is now decided. No, no, God's got a way of making good things happen even in the midst of chaos and crap. I mean, really, that's what the Word says. He says, he makes all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Not for everybody, but to his his children. David was one of his children, and even though David was messing up time and time again, God had a way of coming in and making it work together into some semblance of good to where now we can look back and we honor david we have the star of david we have the city of david we see we just prayed for israel it's israel's there today because of david and what god did through david god has a great track record if you're willing to give him your your issues he's got a great track record of making it turn to good in your favor i and i don't know how he does it you can say well i this is what's going on in my life pastor micah how's he going to do it i don't know 'm not the, I'm not the guy who's good at that. God is good at that. Give it over to the Lord, and He will make those things work together for good. I promise it, His word is absolutely true now emotionally driven leadership, when not coupled with wisdom, creates devastating consequences. Again, I look at this passage as sort of a culmination of david's um, consequences. okay This is like remember we said the first ten chapters of second Samuel are david 's triumphs then you have then you have eleven chapter eleven and and 12 are David's uh, tribulation, uh, his, um, his uh, trials, or tribu- he, his tribulations, no, sorry. It was his, his actions, his sin. And then you have 13 on, to about this point, are all the consequences to his, to his uh, shortcomings. And so this is kind of the culmination of that. And I think it's all because David has been, he's been driven by his emotions and he hasn't really used wisdom in a lot of what's happening. Now he's creating all these, these devastating consequences Uh, Here in Israel, Jeremiah 17 9 says this the human heart, the seat of your emotions. Okay, which do you guys know what the seat of the emotions was like a long time ago in like Jewish in Jewish custom and culture? You guys know what it was? It's so funny. I just again, this is hilarious. It's just good history. Uh, It was the bowels, (laughs) it really was. It was the bowels. So, uh, you know, it's like, you know, the bowels were the seat of the emotions. So, it's like. When, when you, when, instead of saying you move my heart, it's like, oh baby, you move me like a, is it, wait, a bowel movement? Like I move your bowels? Like, is that super weird? But it is kind of funny when you start studying different cultures, it was the seat of the emotions. But in Jeremiah, the heart, we, in English, we say the heart is the seat of the emotions. So the translation has changed a little bit, but the human heart, the seat of the emotions is deceitful of all, above all things and, and desperately wicked. It's so bad that who really knows how bad it is? I mean, this is the Lord telling us that, guys, you can't trust your feelings. Your feelings have a good track record of lying. And I think right now, more than anything, in our culture, we see so much mental illness because we as a culture have affirmed lies in everybody's lives. That's what it is. We see mental illness on a scale that we've never seen it before, and everyone's asking, what do we do about mental illness? What do we do about mental illness? My answer is, Let's start speaking truth. And sometimes people say, well, truth, Pastor Micah, just is hard. It's, it's, and, and nobody really knows truth. Like, everyone's truth is their own truth. Truth is relative. Like, it's my lived experience. No, truth is the Word of God. The Word of God does not lie. Amen. When you speak truth, you set people free from addiction, from bondage, from spiritual attacks, from suicide, anxiety. But you've got to speak truth. And in our world, we have given over truth in exchange for feelings. And if we really care about loving our neighbors, you have to speak truth. Be like a car speeding along a highway and there's a, the road is out right above, but it's foggy and rainy and you can't see. But you know the road is out and there's a cliff. The road has been washed away and someone's speeding down the road. And you get out there and you start waving at them. You say, whoa, slow down, slow down, slow down. And they, they roll down their window and be like, don't tell me to slow down. I need to get where I'm going. I don't like the fact that you're telling me to slow down. Just mind your own business. But you, you continue to persist. And you say, don't go that direction. Well, why are you doing it? Because you want to make that guy's day, you know, messed up? No, you want to stop him because you actually care about what lies ahead that's going to destroy him. But in our culture, we've kind of said, hey, don't tell the people that the road's out ahead. Because that's just too, it's just it's too hard for them. Just let them drive 60 miles an hour, windows down. You know, yeah, the road's up out ahead, but they don't need to know that because that's not that. It'd be like a doctor. It'd be like a doctor who, who doesn't tell his patients the truth. How many doctors, especially in this room, hate having to tell the hard truth? You do tests, you run tests, tests come back, and they're not good tests. Does the doctor come in and say, well, I'm looking at your tests, and by galley, you're fine. Have a nice day. That would be a terrible doctor. You would say that doctor doesn't deserve to be a doctor, and rightfully so. But a good doctor says, Hey, I'm looking at your test results. It's not good news, but I got to tell you this because now we can address the symptoms and we can get to the root cause. And, and that's what we have to do in our culture. But when we, when we kind of play that part of a doctor that doesn't want to tell the truth, we're, we're sort of doing the same thing to our culture. We're saying, Well, culture, uh, you're fine. Have a nice day, right? And they're like, Okay, great. We're fine. Why do you think they're trying to work so hard to get the church to shut its mouth? Because they don't like hearing the truth because they just want to pretend that everything's okay. And yet we're all looking around and saying, things are not okay. Well, where is the church? We cannot allow the lie of our feelings to become the truth of our day. We have got to go back to the Word of God and say, what does God's Word say? Remember in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve had sinned? And they were, God was walking in the cool of the day, and he calls for them, and they hide. And then they come out, and they're covering themselves. And, and the Lord says, why did you hide? And do you know what their response was? Because we are naked, and we are ashamed. And what, was, what did the Lord say to them in that moment? He said, who told you you were naked? I didn't tell you that. You're listening to a lie somewhere else you're listening to the shame. You're listening to the guilt. You're listening to something that's not me. I didn't tell you you're naked. How do you, how did you come to this conclusion? We have to be a church that's willing to say, who told you that this was the truth? It wasn't God. Call them back to truth, and you will begin to fix the mental problems, the mental illness problems that we have in our culture. Now, David's emotions kind of were in that same vein. He was following these lies, his feelings, and it kept him from reconciling with his son Absalom. Now, I'm not saying he could have changed the outcome because the prophet Nathan prophesied what was going to happen. But I do think it could have, it could have helped. He had a chance to reconcile with Absalom multiple times, and he didn't do it. He was, he was afraid. His emotions got the best of him. But, but also remember, emotions can be, can be a powerful tool in the hand of the Lord when coupled with wisdom. David was an artist. Because of David's emotions, he was able to tap into some beautiful, beautiful messages. He wrote 73 of the 150 Psalms. We have have half the book of Psalms because of David's emotions. So the emotions can be good. David was a shepherd. He understood the emotions of of the sheep. He could could empathize with the sheep. He loved the sheep. He was able to to pour his love and protection over the sheep. He was a good pastor. And as I started looking at David's emotions, I was like, okay, Emotions can be powerful. I don't want you to walk away from this message thinking, oh man, we're not supposed to have emotions. No, God gives you emotions, but I also want you to couple it with wisdom. And here's something that might help because as I have learned, I am not, I'm not, I can't walk in every gift. You can't walk in every gift. God doesn't gift one person with everything. You gotta know your strengths and you gotta know your weaknesses. And I think one of the ways we can do that is study Ephesians 4:11 through 13. Paul talks about this to the church of Ephesus. He says there's a gifting protocol that God gives to all all of y'all. And some of you are going to have the gift of the apostle. Some of you are going to have the gift of the prophet, the gift of the evangelist, the pastor, and the teachers. Those are the five ministry giftings that God has given each person in this room. You got at least one of those. At least. Some of you might have two. Okay, But you got at least one. And maybe some have three. I don't know. Maybe you're like an overachiever and you can, you can do three. I don't know. But, but at least one of these is going to be you. And this is what Paul says. He goes on. He says, the responsibility is that you are to equip God's people to do the work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. And this will continue until we all come into unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son, that we will be, the mat- be mature in the Lord, measuring up the full and complete standard of Christ. Or as some translations say, the full counsel of God. So you have, to, you have to find out what your gift is and then understand what, what that gift's strengths are and then what that gift's weaknesses are. You're going to have some weaknesses. It's okay. You're, it's just this is who we are. We, God makes us with gifts. So I, I kind of put this together here on the emotional scale. Okay? This is, again, this is Micah's science, okay? so please hear me. This is not something I went out and found from some study at Biola University or something. This is Micah's graph, but I, this is kind of how I see it. All right, so we're going to say, like, this is, like, really high emotion. Okay, somebody that can—this is the artist, right? This is the, like, I can tap into, like, oh, all my feels, you know, and all this kind of stuff, okay? Not that thing. Again, I, I, I like art, okay? Uh, and then this over here is the knowledge. This is, like, I, I don't know anything about feelings, but I, I, I'm a brainiac. You know, it's Pastor Nathan when he dives into Lord of the Rings. Like, hey, everyone, come over here. We're going to read Lord of the Rings. <laughs> hey, I'm Pastor Nathan. Uh, we're going to, you know, dive in. Let me let me tell you about Luvatar and how uh, Melkor re- revolted against Luvitar, and You're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Crap, this is the online service. <laughs> I g- hey, uh, we're gonna need to edit that one out before it gets. There's like a five second. There's like a 15 second delay. I wonder if they could chop that up. It's probably too late now. All right. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, anyway, all right, so the emotional scale. So, we can say this we can say that this is the heart side and this is the brain side, okay? All right, so now here's how I see where these giftings, when I'm talking to people in these giftings, I just kind of notice that there's, there's kind of a, a, a rhyme and a reason. Now in general, that's not always the case, but in general, I find that the evangelist, the person with the gift of evangelism has a very high emotional like, uh, ability to feel what the people are feeling. You recognize the lost are hurting. They're broken. They need the love of Jesus. Really good thing, right? But they're very, very much in that emotional place. Then you have the pastor. and The pastors are kind of, they're still in that they can sit and they can feel with people, but they're, they also are bringing the truth in a, a little bit more than maybe the evangelist. The evangelist just might say, hey, the truth is God loves you. The truth is that you, 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 need, you need saving. The truth is you're, you're desperate for help. And I, I, know the, I know the one who can help, and his name is Jesus. The pastor says, okay, but let's, let's dive in a little bit more into why are you the way you are? Why is God the way he is, right? And then you have over here, you have the, um, the teacher. Teacher's a little less emotional, a little bit more studious. Okay? Like, okay, we're, gonna, we're really going to dive into the depths of God's word. And then on the far spectrum over here on the, the far right, you have, you have the prophet. Now, if you haven't figured it out yet, which one of these am I? Prophet, yeah, right? It's like, it's like hey, uh, listen, uh, God said this. You're not doing that. You're all, you better turn or burn. You're all going to die. Have a nice day. I'm out. See you, right? <laughs> okay, so that's kind of where my, like, I'm a little bit more that way. And, and again, I'm not saying that that's always the that's always the gift needed. So so then, what's the apostle do? The gifting of the apostle can look at the leadership and and say, okay, hey, right now we don't need the Micah to go into this situation. We need the evangelist to go. Like we don't need the prophet. We need the evangelist. And we've got. And I think like this is what Pastor Nathan has done really really well at Life Church. He's hired very strategically to fill these roles at all of our campuses. So you know, if you go to Pendleton. We're teaching the same thing today, but Pastor Ross up in Pendleton, he's an evangelist. He's looking at it from the brokenness perspective. He's probably going to come at it a little bit differently than I'm going to come at it. That's looking at it more from the truth, like just the the truth of what is going on. And again, both can be needed at some time. They can be used together or they can be used separately. Nathan will say, hey, I think Micah needs to go. I think Ross needs to go. Then you've got Pastor uh, Derek uh, over at Fishers. I think, I think Pastor Derek's a lot in that pastor. He's a very, very good pastor. He's very good at just, uh, you know, kind of teaching, but also kind of sitting and, and helping as a pastor. And then down at Eagle Creek, you got Mike, and Mike is a teacher. If you've ever listened to Mike, I mean, he just, he can, he can teach, man. He can unlock some of the, the teachings of uh, God's Word in ways that it's like, man, I never saw that before, right? And then you got Nathan who kind of sits in that like leadership role saying, okay, go there, go there. And so that's how it's supposed to be, Right, so where are you on the spectrum? And I, I think I put in your notes. Just write out what you think you are. Now, if you need, if you need to, uh, if you need to learn what you are, we have Growth Track specifically for that. We want you to go through Growth Track to take a spiritual gifts assessment to kind of unlock some of those gifts you may not know. But we can help you figure out how God has gifted you. And ultimately, the thing that we really need to always remember is that all of these gifts need to be operated with wisdom from the Holy Spirit. Right? Got to have wisdom from the Holy Spirit. Solomon's prayer was this. Solomon said this. He said, give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? And this is what the Lord said to Solomon because of his prayer. He said, God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire, and you have not asked for wealth, possessions, and honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you have asked for a long, or for not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you, you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge I will give you. And I look at this as like wisdom kind of being that, that kind of understanding of the emotion side of things. The knowledge is that true side of things. Solomon asked for both. He says, I will give you wealth and possessions and honor such as no king who has ever before has come before you. And no one after you will have as much wisdom and knowledge and, and possessions that you have. You've asked for the right things. you asked for the counsel of God to be able to lead others well. And and if you study the life of Solomon, it wasn't just that he was wise. He was very knowledgeable. He knew things about modern-day agriculture and and how plants grow that we didn't learn until thousands of years later in science. People were coming to Solomon and saying, how did you know this about how this plant works? And It was because God was showing him. God was giving him the knowledge. And then he was wise. Remember the story where the the women came and they were fighting over a baby? The one lady uh, accidentally killed her child and so took the other lady's child and said, I'm going to take this child and raise this child. And so they came to Solomon and Solomon says, well, whose child is it? And they both said, it's my child. And Solomon says, okay. I said, we'll figure figure this out. What I'm going to do, bring me a sword. Hold the baby up. I'm going to cut the baby in half and you both can have a half of the baby. And the real mother stepped back and said, whoa, no, 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 don't do that. I, I love the baby too much. Give it to the other woman if, that, if, that, if that's what's going to save his life. And Solomon said, you're the real mother. Take the baby. Have a nice day, right? I mean, wise. Just wise. Just wise. But he asked for the right things. He asked for wisdom and knowledge. He asked to be able to understand, okay, the emotions, but also the truth. I need to be able to couple both things. And, and without, wisdom without knowledge is impotent. If you, if you are wise but you don't know how to implement this, you're not going to be effective. You're going you're gonna to literally just be sitting around being like, well, I know, but I, don't, I can't implement those, that truth. I can't implement that wisdom. But knowledge without wisdom is very dangerous. Knowledge without wisdom says, hey, I, I'm gonna, I know all of these things, but I don't know how God is calling me to use that truth. And you could, you could do a lot of destruction very quickly if you don't have the wisdom to walk in this very big responsibility. So please understand that you need both. And that's why I think Solomon's Prayer, sometimes we, there's another passage of Scripture that talks about Solomon's Prayer, but it just says wisdom, not knowledge. And I think 2 Chronicles does a better job because it says Solomon asked for wisdom and knowledge. So David, David, his emotions caused him to run into battle against Goliath, write half the Psalms, to care for his people. I mean, he was mad when he ran into, he, he had righteous anger when he ran into battle against Goliath, right? So emotions can be, can be used by the Lord in a powerful way, but those same emotions caused him to sin with Bathsheba, to father his children poorly, to divide a nation in a civil war, because he forgot about coupling it with, with wisdom. Now, as we wrap up the the life of Absalom, Absalom's legacy is a sad one. Uh, It will always be a sad one. Uh, Even in Israel now, they spit on his monument. That's how sad of his, that's how sad a legacy he has. But these characters to me, I would say, this story, this is kind of how it played out in my mind. Absalom was the central character. It was all about his rebellion. Joab was the dominant character. And David was the passive character. And I think this is the sad part right here. David should have been here. David should have been the dominant character. But he was passive in his leadership because his emotions were getting the best of him. But through it all, here's the, here's the saving grace of David. Through it all, why, why was David honored by the Lord? Why do we still look at David and say he had a heart after God's own heart? Here's the key to David's life actually moving to where we now honor him. It's he feared the Lord. He never lost the fear of God. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to have a legacy that people look at and they say, man, you did something amazing for the Lord. You have to have the fear of God. Look at these passages of Scripture as we wrap up here. This is, this is I mean, I could, we could go on. I, there's hundreds of passages of Scripture that talks about the fear of the Lord, but I just pulled out a few that, that stood out to me. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Okay, so remember knowledge. There's that key word that, that was asked by a, uh, Solomon. Psalm 111. Verse 10. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom, and all who obey his commands will grow in wisdom. Praise him forever. Proverbs 15. Fear the Lord. Fear of the Lord teaches wisdom, and humility precedes honor. Proverbs 1. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Proverbs ten twenty seven: Fear of the Lord lengthens one's life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. Proverbs 14, fear of the Lord is a life-giving foundation. It offers escape from the snares of death. Isaiah 33, in that day, he will be your sure foundation. We sang a song, Christ is my firm foundation. What is scripture saying? He's going to be your foundation, but he's be, it's going to be wisdom that he gives you that's going to be that foundation that you stand on, providing a rich store of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. Fear of the Lord will be your treasure. And finally, Psalm 112, praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. So you see, in this trend here. I could go on. There's, far, there's, there's even more verses that talk about the fear of God. If you want to have a legacy, if you want to be able to, to couple your emotions with wisdom and to be able to, to stand firm in the storm of this life, when the waves start crashing around you, you've got to fear the Lord. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes. It just means that when you, when you make those mistakes, you know where to run. Because you, the fear of the Lord just means to revere him, to know him, to, to honor him. You don't walk into the presence of the Lord and say, hey, what's up, God? How you doing? No, the angels can't even stand in the presence of the Lord. And yet sometimes people in our culture just are so flippant with God. They're just like, oh, well, God's my buddy. I take him to the bar. I take him to the store. I take him to the game. He's my buddy. And while Scripture does say, yeah, we are friends of God, remember there's protocol in heaven. You don't run into the throne room and just jump on your father's lap when he's sitting on the throne of heaven as king most most high. You walk in like everybody else does with a huge reverence. And then you get that part right, and then, then the the king steps off the throne and he goes into the living room of the palace. He takes off his, his robe and he sits down and he says, hey, come, come sit down next to me. That's when he's your father. That's when he's your friend too. He, you, can, you, can teach, you can talk to him differently than in the throne room, but so often we look at just Jesus and God as over here where he's just my friend, he's just my buddy, and we forget that he is an awesome God. He is not to be messed with. And David knew that. And when David messed up, he ran to that awesome God. He threw himself at the mercy of that God. He said, Lord, you are so awesome. You could wipe me off the face of the earth right now and you would be justified in doing that, but I'm sorry I throw myself at you. Use me, please forgive me, have mercy on me, restore me. And while the consequences were still there, God saved him and restored his legacy and we still know David as this awesome man of God. And it's only because... God is merciful. Now think about what he could do with you. If, they, if he did that with David, he can totally do that with you. Think about your legacy. And that's how I feel like this story, as it's culminating, as it's wrapping up, that's what keeps step, jumping out to me. Say, like, God is so kind. He's so good. And praise God that he can use us when we make mistakes. Praise God that he can use us and he can cover us with the righteousness of the blood of Jesus. Praise God. If that's you today and you've you've never given your life to Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. If you're wrestling with those emotions and that guilt and that that shame, God wants to take that from you. He wants to give you beauty for ashes. The, The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. You walked in here feeling heavy, feeling burdened, the same God that David worshiped. The same God that we are crying out to today. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.